0: The reading is taken from a book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians, and we're in the first chapter, and we're reading from verse 17 to the second chapter and verse 5. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. for it is written: "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power.
1: Thank you very much. If I turn myself off. No, I'm not. not. Well, uh, before I begin, I'm going to pray that God would sink those words deep into our hearts. Father God, thank you that uh, you don't leave us on our own, but you sent the Lord Jesus and he sent out messengers like this Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the church that he began in Corinth. And we pray that we would see by your Holy Spirit as you speak to us, that these words are as relevant to us today as they were to those first readers way back then. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can follow an outline on on the sheets, but I wonder if you're feeling at the moment like you're someone who's lacking power, (laughs) lacking what you need. Are you frustrated in life? Do you you want more from life? Well, that's certainly how the people of Corinth felt, and perhaps of all the people in Corinth who felt that the most, it was the church in Corinth, because uh, this little town, uh, Corinth here uh, on the map, uh, which is today a ruin, was actually a big, big city. Um, standing between uh, two great uh, powers of Italy and uh, the kind of the Turkish-Asian Empire, uh, right in the middle of the Roman Empire. And um, uh, it was a great trade route. And so as the, the ship sailed through, the safest place to go through was through this little inlet here and then into Corinth, where there was only a five-mile stretch where they could carry things quickly across land and then carry on their journey without going through the stormy seas further south. And as a result, this was a city that was rich and successful and attracted everything that a big city attracts, all the latest ideas and thinkers and religions. There were all kinds of different ideas mixing here. And imagine you're a small group of Christians trying to be a church in a city like that. It's going to affect you. And it made them very insecure, we discover as we read this letter. Everyone around them was super rich and super clever and super successful and and Christianity didn't just seem to fit in. Now imagine you're Matt and Gemma Simpson and you have invited lots of friends and family to your son's Thanksgiving, and you want to make a great impression to them. And as you read the title of this talk, your heart sinks. <laughs> God's plan is idiots talking about Jesus' death. And you think, we're lacking power here. And then you read on, and you see on your service sheets the rest of the the outline. The message of Christ's cross is meant to look pathetic, to humble the proud and rescue the humble, and there we get the conclusion in point three. So get comfortable being... The pathetic idiot who never shuts up about Jesus' death. You feeling reassured as a Christian, if you're here today believing this? And if you're a skeptic, wondering what this is all about, maybe you're thinking, oh, I was right to steer clear of Christianity after all. It's a very weird passage. I don't know if you picked up what Paul is saying here as Antoinette read it to us. But it's striking, isn't it? Just that first verse there on the sheets at the top, numbered 17. Chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, These people were arguing about leaders and who baptized them because they wanted to be baptized by the greatest leader and were they baptized by Paul or Apollos or or Peter? And um, they wanted to show off. But Paul says, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach, to share the good news. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest or in case the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul wants us to know that the message of Christ's cross is meant to look pathetic. If you were here last week, you'll already be recognizing that we've covered this passage before. But I realized that this is probably the most central thing that Paul wants his readers to grasp and wants us to grasp as a result. This little picture here, as I mentioned last week, is one of the earliest pieces of gra- graffiti we've got in uh, the ancient world, from a couple of hundred years after Jesus. Uh, this was graffitied on the walls of a catacomb, probably in kind of public loos kind of thing you'd see. Um, Alex is a loser on the, on the doors of Stretton Bog or something. <laughs> well, this is the equivalent. And what it says is, it says, Alex Aminos... So it is about Alex. (laughs) Alex Aminos worships his God. And you can see it's a donkey hanging on a cross with his bum sticking out. And that's what people thought of this ridiculous message. You see, a cross was an instrument of torture. And the idea that God would become a human being to die on a cross, well, that's foolishness. So foolish it deserved a bit of graffiti about poor Alex Aminos, who'd obviously shared the message with a friend of his. And that's what they thought of it. A donkey on a cross with his bum sticking out is about as credible as God becoming a man. You see, the message of the cross is meant to look pathetic. Do you see verse 18 on your sheets, the next sentence down? For the message of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because, for, verse 19, it is written. And God writing, well, Isaiah writing 600 years before, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. It's there, quoted by Paul. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. The message of the cross is meant to look pathetic. As pathetic as the idea that someone as impressive as the eternal Son of God who's lived in a perfect relationship with the Father, would take humanity to himself and become a human being. It's the equivalent of having a billionaire, as I talked about last week, who would walk into the room and everyone would be whispering to each other, you see that guy, he's really impressive, he's a billionaire. But actually if he walked in and you heard he's a bankrupt billionaire, then actually you'd be thinking he was worse than if he was a nobody. How could you have all that and lose it? How do you manage to do that? Christ crucified the eternal Son of God, dead on a cross. But it's meant to look pathetic, And the question is that we're going to come back to again this week is, why? Why? And the first answer is there on your sheets: to humble the proud, to humble the proud. You see, sentence 19 there on the sheets again. For it is written, God's plan is, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Well, in order to understand this, we need to think, what is the wisdom of the world? What is this wisdom? And this wisdom started way back when, The first man and woman chose their own definition of wisdom over gods. The Bible introduces it with the person of Adam and Eve in the third chapter of the Bible. But actually, when we put it like that, we can see how this is true of all of us, isn't it? Their desire was to be self-sufficient, to choose for themselves what is good and evil. And in that early chapter of the Bible, it's described as them choosing wisdom. Their ability to define wisdom for themselves. We don't need God. And actually, it's it's a message that seems so wise today, doesn't it? I do it my way. You do it your way. You get to define yourself. Be self-sufficient. Stand on your own two feet. It seems so wise. It seems so sensible. But when we think of it in the light of there being a creator God, as I've said so many times in this church, it's, it's the equivalent of a branch saying to a tree, I don't want to be a branch anymore, I want to be a tree. Well, it sounds so sensible, doesn't it? Why wouldn't a branch want to be a tree? I'm going I'm I'm to go my own way. I'm going to head off in my own direction. I'm going to live on my own power. But what power does a branch have when it separates from a tree? Well, the little bit of residual power that is left over from what the tree gave it in the first place. Doesn't that describe my life? Doesn't that describe your life? A life of residual power that is perishing. Just like those flowers on your kitchen table are perishing just like that branch torn off by a storm is perishing. It looks beautiful. The leaves are flourishing. It looks great. The flowers maybe even are going to open up and bud as that career takes off. But then the aging process sets in and we realize we're perishing. In the same way that we describe the food in our fridge as perishable, we too are perishable, cut off from the source of life, says I'm not willing to be dependent that's, that's just a stupid thing why would I want to be dependent on anyone else I'm not willing to admit that I can't do it on my own and from our earliest days we want to do it our way and parents we know that our kids are always. You know, we've got a five month old Eliza our youngest and, and she, she tries to sort of jump out of our arms even at five months and as the kids grow up no I'm doing my way And so often our our kids' intentions are suicidal, but luckily they're they're small, and we can look after them and care for them. But actually we do want our kids to grow up to be independent, don't we? But actually the Bible's plan is that parents would, would encourage their children to become more and more dependent on God as they grow in maturity and become independent of their parents. And yet we're not willing to give up our freedom to God, are we? But then, in the end, we become enslaved to a futile life. And you know, Jesus is often quoted as talking about, Jesus, the most loving man who ever lived, is quoted as talking about hell more than anyone else. But I don't know if you know that the word that Jesus uses for hell isn't, A weird freaky word it's the word Gehenna which was simply the name of the big landfill rubbish dump outside of Jerusalem where perishable items were chucked and he uses that word because he wants us to think oh yeah okay if I'm perishing and I'm aging and I'm heading towards the one in one statistic that all die if I'm cut off from God the source of life then I'm heading the way of the rubbish dump The rubbish dump of history. And you know, most of us can't even remember what our great-grandparents did that was significant, let alone someone else's. We pale into insignificance because we are perishing. And Jesus came to plead with us, to come to our senses, to trust in him so that he could rescue us. And that's the next point. The message of Christ's cross is meant to look pathetic, to humble the proud, to help us to realize that our wisdom of wanting to be independent, well, it's crazy. And Jesus wants to rescue the humble. And the Apostle Paul writing to this church, you want to be impressive in this impressive city. He says this on verse 26 on your sheets, number 26, about halfway down. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. The pride of those who think they're somebodies is ugly, isn't it? Have you ever met anyone who perhaps is wise by human standards of noble birth and, and they're very snooty about it? And actually, we we just don't like that, that idea of kind of sticking your nose up to everyone else. And and when we see it, we can't stand it. And there's a quote that I gave, which I think is very powerful, because we can see it so clearly, because it was said 300 years ago. There was a very uh, influential woman, uh, the Duchess of Buckingham, who was invited by her friend, about 300 years ago, her friend Lady Huntingdon, to come and hear this message, the message of the cross, preached by um, a great Methodist preacher called uh, George Whitfield, who was going out sharing this good news. And um, in high society, um, lots of people were turning their nose up, but as uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley, I don't know if you've heard of these great historical figures, went out uh, of the churches, they went into the fields, and lots and lots of uh, ordinary people were turning to Jesus, realising this is really good news, I I can't get to God on my own, What God has come down to rescue me, that's amazing. Well, Lady Huntingdon was one of those rare people who doesn't fit with our passage, not many of you were of noble birth, she was of noble birth, she wanted all her posh friends to understand this amazing message too. So she wrote to uh, the Duchess of Buckingham, inviting her to come and hear a talk on something like this. Let me read again what I read last week, because I think it's very powerful what the Duchess of Buckingham writes back. See if you can pick up what she's saying. I'll try it in her posh voice again. (laughs) I thank your ladyship for the information concerning these preachers. Their doctrines are most repulsive and strongly tinctured with impertinence and disrespect towards their superiors in that they are perpetually endeavouring to level all ranks and do away with all distinctions. It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common lechers that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. (laughs) Well, listening to that... Well, you see, isn't that disgusting that that lady would think just because she's a duchess that she's better than these common people who who George Whitfield and John Wesley are going out sharing this amazing good news and with joy in their hearts and tears flowing down their cheeks, they're coming to know Jesus. And she's looking on down her aristocratic nose at these people and calling them sinful common lechers. And yet when we pursue independence from God and when we say I can do it on my own, And we're told that God Himself took humanity to Himself and came and lived the perfect life that we fail to live. And He died that death on the cross, naked and bleeding and ashamed. And we look at that picture and we're told that's what you deserve. But He took it instead then maybe we start to feel the same offense as the Duchess of Buckingham. How dare you tell me that my sin, my attempt at independence away from God is so bad that that would need to happen? How dare you tell me that 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 message of the cross is just as effective for a repentant ISIS terrorist as it is for me? Just as needed by a paedophile as it is by me or rather just as needed by me as by a paedophile. It levels us, doesn't it? And suddenly we feel that kind of pride of the Duchess of Buckingham saying, how dare you compare me with those disgusting human beings? I've only done good in society. You should see my success in business, my success in education, my success in all these other ways. How kind I am. Just talk to my friends. They'll say I'm a good guy. And there's bleeding, dying, Son of God, saying, no, your sin, the way you've treated me, is so awful, so evil, that I had to die for you. But you see, if we admit that we are foolish and weak, that we've cut ourselves off from the God we're made to know, and that our only direction of travel is that we're perishing, well then, the cross is amazing good news and that idea of rescue doesn't insult us, but it gives us joy. You see, if we recognize that we're foolish, well then, suddenly verses 27 and 28 take on a whole new tone. Do you see number 27 on your sheets? But God chose the foolish things of the world, well, that's me, to shame the wise. That's who I thought I was. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, God himself, that you are in Christ Jesus. Now that's an amazing statement, the idea that we could be in Christ Jesus, as in everything that happens to Jesus happens to us, that we're so identified and bound up with him, that he is our identity. But you see, if that's the case, if we are in him like, like a piece of paper is in a book, wherever that book is taken, that bit of paper goes. If, if, if we are in Christ in that way, well then do you see verse 30? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. We can have wisdom, but not because we've achieved it on our own, but because we're planted back into that, that tree, as it were, who has become for us wisdom. That is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Well, those are three religious-sounding words, and maybe you're thinking, well, how can those words, righteousness, holiness, and redemption, be relevant to me? Well, the first uh, there is righteousness. Let's see how these are actually hugely relevant. Righteousness just means right relationship with God. But the only way to have a right relationship with God is to be morally perfect. I don't know if there's anyone here who would say, in and of myself, I'm good enough for God. That That a perfect heaven would not be, in the least bit, marred by me being there. Well, if, if we couldn't say that, well, how do we think that, that God would accept us? He's pure and holy and, and perfect. His righteousness is described like a, like a consuming fire. So pure. But in Jesus... Because Jesus' life was beautiful and good, and he was always kind and always loving and always trusted his Heavenly Father perfectly. If we trust in him, then we are given righteousness. He is our righteousness. What about holiness? Holiness just means set apart. To be holy just means set apart, other, distinct. But how can we be set apart for God? You see, our our worldly wisdom says, well, I'm I'm special as I am. I'm set apart as I am. I I can be whoever I want to be, but the fact is we're all heading to that rubbish dump of history that our great-grandchildren won't remember us, will be insignificant. And so are we really that special? You see, believing we're good on our own leaves us insecure. Believing we're special on our own leaves us insecure, doesn't it? Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not special enough. But if the perfect Son of God died for you, then that must mean you're really special, mustn't it? But if God himself gave himself for you, he must really love you. And he has set you apart as you trust in Christ, so that you're not just special, you're holy for him. Ready to enjoy a relationship with him that will last for all eternity and satisfaction that is beyond your world's dreams. Well, how do we get that? Do you see that third word? Redemption, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Uh, redeemed just means bought out of slavery. And in our worldly wisdom, we say, I'm free. Actually, when we think about it, our freedoms are utterly dependent on others. The fact that we enjoy any freedom at all is a large part to do with the fact that we were born in this country, if we were, or born in a country that is peaceful, or able to enjoy that. And that's because we're dependent on a political system that is working well, and, and the fact that we've got plumbing and electricity and... In fact, all our freedoms are utterly dependent on others and well, that's dependent on the God who gave us the skills and ingenuity to do those things. And actually to say that we're free in and of ourselves is is a cruel lie, isn't it? Because we often fall victim to our own bad decisions or, or the bad decisions of others. You can think of a, a thousand examples, I'm sure, but one that's very raw for me at the moment is my dear, dear brother-in-law who believed that lie, that he's free and has left my sister on her own with three kids and gone off after another woman. And he is now deeply, deeply depressed because he's broken a marriage and broken a family and she's in tatters as well and wonderfully looking after her three boys as well as she can. All because he pursued his freedom to do his own thing, but, but his own concept of freedom... Well, actually, we can't look down on him, can we? Because if each of us are a victim to our own decisions, I don't know how often I, I kind of... you know, I, I'm not concentrating when I'm driving, and I think, oh, wow, I'm so glad that that didn't have worse consequences for others. Mm. Or that, that stupid thing that I did, or stupid thing that I said, that, that, that my wife's willing to forgive me for, and the people I love the most, are the people I hurt the most, and yet they forgive me and they bear with me. I, I need them. I'm not free on my own. We need to be redeemed, we need to be brought out of slavery to that foolish belief that we're good in and of ourselves, we're special in and of ourselves, that we're free in and of ourselves, and we need to realize we're like that branch heading for the Gehenna, the the rubbish dump of history. I had an amazing story of a rescue from slavery of a family that went on holiday, a wealthy family, on holiday to the Seychelles. And, And if you know, the Seychelles are off the coast of Somalia and um, they went uh, to the Seychelles with their 12-year-old son um, who was uh, having a great time but then he had a big argument with his parents about what he could and couldn't do and he went off in a sulk and he was just playing and sulking on his own on the beach feeling fed up with his parents and he came across these guys who approached him and they seemed exciting they seemed to have a, a a life of freedom they had this amazing boat and it was equipped with cool weapons. And he'd seen all these. he would be playing these games. And he loved it. And, and somehow he got in a conversation with them. And, and they said, come and travel with us. Come and enjoy a life of freedom with us. And little did he know that he was talking to some pirates who were part of Al-Shabaab. And he became their slave. And a redemption price was set to... Million pounds. Well, these were wealthy people, but that would cripple them. And the parents, in, in devastation, that their son had run off and pursued freedom and ended up enslaved. They sold the house. They sold the car. They sold everything. They had nothing left. But they managed to raise the two million pounds that was required. And the boy was released. And as the mother and father held him in their arms the dad said we made you and now we've paid for you you are twice mine we made you and now we've paid for you we've bought you out of slavery and you're twice mine And suddenly, in in that sense, that boy became righteous and holy and redeemed. But that's obviously only a story. And it's a picture of something far greater, what Jesus Christ did for us. Leaving the throne room of heaven and giving everything for us. And so verse 30, do you see verse 30 on your sheets? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, because of God who sent his Son, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. And if you are in Christ, well, all those things are true of you. And so suddenly, your humility at seeing what Jesus did for you turns into amazing security, doesn't it? And joy. Because if God himself has rescued you, then you are secure, you are safe, and you are precious, and you are highly valued. In fact, we're told elsewhere that that we're treated like a co-heir with Jesus Christ, like princes. And you see verse 31? What's the therefore? What do we do as a result? Where does our true boasting go? Verse 31, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, this isn't boring religion. This isn't about doing your duty. You could never do your duty enough to get to God. This is about God coming down and rescuing you and giving you fullness of life. And our, our vision statement as a church is there on the screen, shamelessly pursuing fullness of life in Christ. We should be ashamed. We should be cut off from God. We're no better than anyone else. But because of Jesus, we can be shameless, as it were, walk straight into the presence of God and talk to him any and live life dependent on him like a branch back in that tree, flourishing and bearing fruits, not because of anything we've done, but because of all his grace and energy and power flowing through us. And we can live life to the full, a kind of fullness of life that survives the storms of pressures and failures and struggles. You see, this is such good news. But it's worth being shameless about. And so as we look at this last little section, this paragraph, which in some ways is the most important part as Christians for us to get hold of, this is what we've got to live out. This is what the person Jesus sent, Paul, who wrote this letter, understood having been a man of high status, a very eloquent man, a very powerful man. He was humbled. And what does he say? Well, let me read to you what's on the screen. Get comfortable being the pathetic idiot who never shuts up about Jesus' death. Can you see that as we read this passage? And so it was with me, in the the light of this amazing good news of Jesus' death, brothers and sisters, and so it was with me, chapter 2, verse 1, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. That that would have been a silly thing to do because if you play eloquent and wise people at their own game, they think you're sort of sucking up to them. Actually, verse two, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I never shut up about Jesus' death. I came to you in, in, in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Do you want your trust in life to rest on human wisdom? I can do it my way. I can achieve things my way. I'm better than other people. Or do you want to know the humility of God's saving grace, his his kindness to you as he picks you up as that rotting, perishing branch from the floor and plugs you back into himself. And it cost him dear. It cost him his own dear son. And so as you enjoy that relationship with him, you've got no reason for pride over anyone else. You can keep talking about Jesus' death with others. Because it's not that you're Saying, I, I've worked it out and you haven't and I'm superior to you. You're saying, you know, I'm, I'm like a beggar and someone has just given me a million pounds and, and they're willing to give it to you too and I just want to share that message. I'm no better than you, but, it, but it's there, available. You can shamelessly pursue fullness of life in Christ. This is what Joshua needs to grow up with. That's what Matt and Gemma want for him. Not that he would grow up thinking, I I can do things my way, but I have a great and kind God who came to rescue me. And this message will transform a community. You see, the problem that the Corinthians were facing, because they were rescued people, they were not a good people, is that they were backbiting and fighting and trying to get one up on each other and trying to show off. And Paul writes into that situation the message of the cross to say, look, if you really understand who you are in Christ and what he's done for you, you're not going to look down on anyone else. You're not going to try and get one-upmanship on them. In fact, you're going to serve them in humility and grace, and you're going to forgive them when they mess up because you've done something worse for God, to God. You've got no reason to look down on someone else who's struggling. And so you're going to become this amazing community where you're open about your failures. You don't need to fake it. You don't need to be insecure. You don't need to say, I, I can be good enough to get to God on my own. I'm special in and of myself. This is what we need as Stratham Central Church. This is what every community needs. The message about Jesus' death. And so, the way we're going to end our formal part together is we're going to sing a song that Matt and Gemma chose. A great song. I will glory. The word glory means boast. And as it says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We're going to stand and sing, and if you'd like to join in, feel free to. Again, if not, we don't want to put words in your mouth. But if you want to think about this more deeply, um, please do chat to one of us if you're around in Streatham next week. We've got an alpha course starting where you can look into who Jesus is and why did he die and what does it mean for me. But for now, we're going to sing this wonderful song, I will glory in my Redeemer.
2: whose priceless blood has ransomed me mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment tree i will glory in my redeemer who crushed the power of sin and death my only saviour before the holy judge the lamb who is my righteousness the lamb who is my righteousness I will glory My life he bought, my love he owns, I have no longings for another, I'm satisfied in him alone. I will glory in my Redeemer, his faithfulness my standing place, though foes are mighty and rush upon me. My feet are firm held by his grace. My feet are firm held by his grace. I will glory in my Redeemer who carries me on eagle's wings. He crowns my life with loving kindness his triumph song i'll ever sing i will glory in my redeemer who waits for me at gates of gold and when he calls me it will be paradise his face forever to behold his face forever Behold His face, His face forever to behold. His face forever
1: to behold. Please do grab a seat. And and, um, uh, in a moment the uh, table here will. Uh be cleared and the other table join in. We're going to have some uh, tea and coffee and refreshments and cake, so please do stay around. Um, if you'd like to talk more to someone here, uh, please do. If you know uh, those who believe this wonderful message and you want to think it through more, please chat to them. Please feel free to come and uh, chat to me, although I'm no more of a guru than any other member of Streatham Central Church. And um uh, yeah, we want to say a big thank you to uh, and Gemma for giving us the excuse to celebrate this afternoon, and uh, to little Joshua as he comes back in, um, and to the family and friends who are here. Please do uh, celebrate with us. And um, that closes the formal part of our meeting. Let me close with a prayer. Our Father, thank you for uh, the privilege of being able to explore uh, the amazing news of the saving death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, to humble us, to rescue us, and to bring us into a relationship with you that will last for eternity. And we pray that we go away with that, mind, that uh, message ringing in our ears and be confident to share it with others or to look into it and find our security in Jesus himself. In His name, Amen.